0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius audio podcast. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you here today. And if you're watching Grace Online, I want to welcome you wherever you are in the world right now. I hope you're having a great day. For those of you that may not have been with us the past couple of weeks, we are currently in a series called The DNA of Relationships. I believe last week we talked about parenting and we've got a couple more topics I believe we're going to talk about uh, as we continue in this series. But today we're going to be talking about the topic of community and what that means. I think that when we talk about the body of Christ, what it means to be a part of a church, community, a number of us have a different, pers- different perspectives on what that is. Uh, I think that some of us think that coming to church on Sunday morning and that being about it is being part of the church. And it's like, no, you're coming to observe church, but you're really not participating in church. That there is something about being in the body of Christ where we are integrated and that we are highly involved in each other's lives and that there is something that is prescriptive in scripture about that. That there is something that the, the Holy Spirit moves in that context and that it actually helps us to grow as believers in Christ. For those of you that don't know uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend, they are uh, a couple of very prolific authors in um, <clears throat> in the Christian literary world, and they're counselors. They have a counseling practice, I believe, in Houston, and their primary focus is on Christian counseling. They've written this. says, Biblical growth is designed to include other people as God's instruments. To be truly biblical as well as truly effective, the growth process must include the body of Christ. Without the body, the process is neither totally biblical nor orthodox. Saying that you cannot have mature Christian growth outside the context of biblical community. That it happens, that is the seedbed. That is the context in which maturity happens. You can't go off in isolation and grow into a mature Christian on your own. You've got to have a sense of community. And the challenge with us today is that we kind of uh, you know, think community um, in different, different ways. We think that community can also be virtual. And I think that there's an aspect of virtual community that does have some application. However, I don't think that it can have the full impact as being in the house, integrated, and interacting with other people live. And that's not to say that uh, those that, you know, watching sermons and participating on that online are missing anything whatsoever. It's that if that is what you're doing, then, uh, but you also got to have some form of biblical community to be involved in, wherever that may be. That nothing is going to place live interaction and live interpersonal relationships with each other. We are designed for that. We are social creatures. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. <clears throat> Saying that almost is that as the day of Christ's return is approaching, we need to be even involved in each other's lives more. We need to be involved in community even more, that God has told us that He has commanded that we are to be engaged in biblical, authentic community. So what keeps us from embracing community? Well, I think the first thing is, is that we value individual over communal. That individual versus communal. We are a highly individualistic society. In fact, our country was founded on some individualistic principles. We believe in the individual freedom for all. We believe in kind of this individual definition for every person. And I'm not saying that that is a bad thing. But as you know, any good thing taken to an extreme can become a bad thing. And we have become such an individualistic culture. In every aspect we like to set our preferences we like to have our own customization we like to design everything centered around us and what we want we've gotten so conditioned that I shouldn't have to tolerate anything that is not my preference everything should be customizable to me and we don't stop to think about how that actually may impact somebody else or if it even impacts somebody else A great illustration is the coffee culture that we have within our country today. That we can go into Starbucks or some other place, and we will go up to the barista, and we'll say, I would like a venti, hot, cinnamon dolce, sugar-free cinnamon dolce, latte, double shot, 1% milk, 2% milk. I would like a half an inch of foam and a dusting of nutmeg, not a full throttled dump, but a dusting. Approximately, you know, just a sprinkle. I can barely see the foam on the other side. And then I would like the temperature to be approximately at 182 degrees. I'm not kidding. I've seen people do this. And uh, 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 specify a temperature. And if someone in here is one of those people that specify a temperature like that, first of all, I'm going to ask, you, and you really tell? And second of all, you need to repent. <laughs> because if I was a barista, this is what I would do. Seems about right. Some of your drink orders are so ridiculous that sometimes I think I can hear a barista go, Do we have an interpreter of tongues? But that is what we're conditioned to. I want what I want, how I want it, when I want it, where I want it. That, you know, Burger King started this a number of years ago, you know, have it your own way. It was kind of a breakthrough in the sense of where you could customize your burger in the way that you want it. I'm not saying that, you know, that these are bad things, but we've become so conditioned that we expect it in everything. I mean, if we want to talk about the church, let's talk about the church in the sense to where people's preferences think that they kind of supersede the whole uh, corporate context that I don't like this color, I think that we should do this, I think we should do that, I I think that I want this, I think that I want that, and think that it should, you know, simply because it's suggested that we should implement it. And no one is thinking about what does it mean as far as the whole. That may be your preference, but it may not be the benefit for everyone else. Because guess what? The church is not all about you. It's not centered on you. It is a community. It is an organism. It is a viable, vibrant, living organism. And we all have to live with each other. Because guess what? If you don't like the person that you're sitting to next, week, next year, uh, right now, if you don't like the person, well, maybe in a year, if you don't like the person that you're sitting to next to right now, then guess what? You may be spending eternity with them. So you need to get over it. <laughs> you may be sharing a mansion together. I don't know. But the thing is that we are called to live together, and we have to live beyond our own personal preference. You can't just decide that because I think it should be done this way, that this is the way that it should be done. You have to think, well, how does this benefit everyone else? Or does it have a benefit for everyone else? Or is this just in my personal perspective? Could I be right or could I be wrong? That's what it means to live together, because guess what? That involves you demonstrating some level of self-sacrifice. It involves you demonstrating some level of humility. It involves you demonstrating that you realize that it is, is better to serve others than to expect to be served. Because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for others. That's how we're called to live our life in every context. You know, nothing will illustrate or expose kind of uh, what is distinctive to our American culture than having people come in from other countries and, uh, and observe. I think that if you do not have relationships with people that are outside of this country, I strongly encourage you to develop those relationships because they will give you an entirely different perspective on what you perceive as normal. And I think it's healthy. I think it's great that we can come in and make, um, uh, you know, uh, look at other cultures and learn from that and grow from that. But it can also expose some weaknesses that exist for us as a culture as a whole. Just because something exists in a culture doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. And as I said, we as our culture is kind of defined as an individualistic society that having some people come in from the outside and observe that is really kind of almost comical and quite interesting. I found this on a International Student Guide to the U.S. This is a guide for students that are coming in from other countries to study, uh, study abroad, they're coming in, and um, this guide is there to kind of help them to acclimate. This is under the topic of Understanding American Culture Tips for Acclimating to the U.S. Daily Life. And here's what they're counseling these students to do or to observe when they're coming into American culture. First of all, they need to understand that friendships between Americans tend to be shorter and less intense than those between people from many other cultures because Americans are taught to be self-reliant and live in a very mobile society. And that's true. We're in other countries and such to where uh, the fact is that everything is more closely contained, more close-quartered. We have so much space and we travel greater distances uh, to get where we're going, and therefore that has an impact on how we relate to each other. That we have a mobile society, so therefore we're not all contained in one specific area in many uh, times. Friendships are compartmentalized. They have friends at work and they have friends at school. Uh, Americans often seem very friendly, even when you first meet them. The friendliness does not always mean that person is looking for a deeper relationship. Many Americans are pleasant and professional, but indirect and hide their true emotions or feelings. Being polite is important in this culture, and sometimes they may keep being nice to you, even though they do not want to pursue a deeper relationship. So <clears throat> I think that works very well in the South, where it's like, oh, you're so wonderful. I just love you. Bless your heart. <laughs> they are not really going to say what we think, but we're going to be polite and nice to everyone. Approaching another person with a positive attitude will get you further than aggressiveness, which is usually not tolerated. It's best at times to be smart and not right, even if you're sure that the other person is wrong. Basically, We don't like to be told that we're wrong. Keep your smile up even when you're upset. Otherwise, you will be perceived as being combative. And remember that people do not say what they feel because they do not want to hurt you or because they may try to alleviate a stressful situation. The person that wrote this didn't live in New Jersey. <clears throat> but that I just found that fascinating. That that is kind of some of the the coaching that we give to people coming in from other cultures on how to relate to us. And quite frankly, a lot of it is kind of dead on. It is accurate. We are conditioned the fact that we're many of us uh, relate, keep relationships at a certain distance that our culture is defined where we have a larger personal space than uh, other cultures. There are other cultures that are very more family-centric or very communal-centric in their organization, whereas us is again, we're individualistic. So all that to say is not necessarily to do kind of uh, an, an expose on American culture, but to demonstrate what we're up against. The fact is, is that our culture actually fights against community. It's something that we actually have to be aware of. Because the thing is is that we as the church are called to be countercultural. We're not called to necessarily emulate our culture. We're called to emulate the culture of the kingdom. And the kingdom is is that we are a family, brothers and sisters, united, adopted, one in Christ. And we're called to live as a family. However dysfunctional that may be at times. But we are called to be a kingdom-set family. And that is how we're designed. So we are uh, individual versus communal, but we're also, we have a sense of isolation versus congregation. We like a sense of isolation in some ways. That we kind of have this isolation type of mentality. We often isolate ourselves from fear of deep relationships. And our individualism feeds the perspective that our situation is unique or that we're the only ones struggling with certain issues. A lot of us have been hurt by various relationships throughout our life, whatever that may be, through family, through friends, whatever. Some of it is the result of just unfortunate circumstance and situation that's happened to you throughout your life, and it may be a high level of coincidence. For others, it may be the fact that you are drawn and attracted to the wrong type of person, whether it be in a romantic type relationship or friendships or whatever that may be, because you're drawn to that person because there is something within you that feels the need for approval. Approval or connectivity to that ter- personality type, and you're trying to make a repair in that, in that way. Now, some of it is, again, circumstance, but some of it is self-inflicted because you are repeatedly drawn to that. The only way that that's going to get resolved, the only way that you're going to get breakthrough with that particular issue is that you have to embrace community. But when you run from it, guess what? You just continue to repeat the problem. We don't want relationships. A number of you have been hurt by the church. A number of have hurt very deeply by the church. I will raise both hands on that one. Absolutely. We have all been hurt by the church in some way. Some of it is a perceived hurt, where you think that you've been hurt, but really it's more of your issue. And some of it is an actual event that has happened because some people have sinned against you. But what we have to remember is that the body that sometimes hurts you is also the same body that will heal you. And that's a very challenging thing, especially when it's something that's been repeated within your life. I understand that. I get that. But the thing is is that the body will, has the power to bring healing and restoration in your life. The reality is, is that when you get one of us or more together, we're going to be dysfunctional. And to think that somehow, you know, this person said this or this person did that. And I tried to embrace community and they hurt me. and Or this person just said this to me that was kind of rude and upsetting. Well, I'm saying, you know, guess what? Every village has an idiot. <laughs> There's somebody that's going to say something and you just, you know, it's that family member that you go, yeah, Uncle Larry, I don't know what to do. We just kind of put him in the living room and, you know. It, it, uh, it, you know, there, there's that, that aspect, and you have to be willing to overlook that, because if you walk in perpetual offense, then guess what? You're the bondage, you're, you're the prisoner of your own prison. And it takes risk. The reality is that relationship requires risk. You cannot, some of you are craving for relationship, but the thing is you don't want to put any risk into the relationship, therefore you're never going to have it. It's always going to require some level of risk. There are some things that just tend to almost provide a natural isolation that we're not even aware of. A lot of that is the fact that many of us here in this room are single. And you understand what isolation can feel like. Do you know that in the 2014 census that over, I believe, 54% of the ages between 18 and 49 are now single? That means that in the age bracket of 18 to 49, we have more single people than married people currently in our country today. And yet, we as a church don't even think about that in a whole context. We don't even think about the fact that we have single people in our lives. It's honestly, sometimes we can think about them as, oh, the others. Those who we don't speak of. And the thing is is that single people have a perception about married people that's not necessarily accurate as well. And yet we're called to live together all in one body. It grieves me when I hear people saying that, you know, well, I was going to invite them or I was going to have them part, but they're single and it's going to be a bunch of married people and uh, just didn't think, you know, that would be comfortable. For who? You? Because the thing is that you need single people in your life, married people. They have a, a lot of wonderful things to contribute. They have a perspective that you don't necessarily have or that you've forgotten. And single people, guess what? You need married people in your life. You don't need to be just completely isolated and segregated in your own single state. Because here's what you need to understand and remember. Your marital status is not defined who you are. You are not defined by whether you are single or whether you are married. That is a commitment that you've made as a married. And yes, I understand that marriage is... Elevated within scripture, that we, you know, we see the word end with a demonstration of a marriage and such. So, but guess what? We see a number of people that were incredible. Uh, you know, Paul or some remember that you know there's speculation about whether or not he was married at one time or not. The thing is that obviously, when he wrote the New Testament, he was single. Let's not overlook the value of people simply based upon their, their status. Now we have to look at this and you know realize like I said that, you know, as married people, we can look at single people sometimes and go, oh, gosh, well, they've got all this free time. They can go and do whatever they want. And that, you know, there's all these things. They, they just have a life for freedom. And then the single people are looking across into the Holy Land and going, oh, gosh, to marry, to be there, and, you know, to have that opportunity to be with someone. That's just so wonderful. That's just so great. And, yes, marriage is a wonderful thing. But guess what? Marriage is not the solution to your problem. Marriage is only going to expose and magnify your problem. I will put it this way. Marriage is an assault on the flesh. And I mean this before I get the emails. I mean this in the sense to where if you've got an issue or a problem, then bringing another person into your life to live with you 24-7 is going to expose it only the more. So let's not think that somehow if I get to the other side, that's going to solve all my issues. And let's not think married people, the fact that if I go back and reminisce and oh, how great it was, the fact that that's somehow going to be better as well. Because remember, as single people, they're the ones that have to do all their own errand running, their own shopping. The fact is, they do have less disposable income, especially in this area as they're trying to uh, you know, work one job, where maybe households have two jobs. There are a number of different challenges, all that to say at the end of the day, is that we're supposed to exist together. There are are things that single people can bring to families that you're not even aware of, and you should be including them in your life. And there are things that married people should be bringing into your life as well, single people, so stop isolating yourself and thinking that you can only relate to those people that of your similar marital status. Because we both need each other and we're to be integrated in our life. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. We don't isolate ourselves, but we're committed to being together. Next we have independence versus dependence. That we are a very independent culture. Independence is something that we really celebrate here. I want to show you an illustration. My wife and I, we've um, determined that we just actually had a conversation the other day and just kind of come to the resolution of going, you know, we're afraid of getting in a rut, but we just kind of like, you know what, we just determined that uh, there's one place that we love to go on vacation, and we're probably just going to wind up there each and every time because uh, we've traveled to other parts of the country and had a good time, but, you know, there have been situations like when we went to San Diego in July, and it was 60 degrees, and it rained the whole time, and we were in a 5.8 earthquake, and we're like, okay, yeah, well, that's not going to work. So we, 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 we love Colorado. Colorado is like, you know, when the new millennium comes and I'm, assi- I'm praying that God assigns me to Colorado. And that, that, that's kind of where I'm going to reside during that time. I, I love it. And one of the times that we love to go is during October, uh, right around that season, right when the Aspen start to change. And if you have not seen Aspen... Live and in person, these things are like they're like white sticks with fire on top of them. The color change is so dramatic and so vibrant and so real that it's just breathtaking uh, for this tree. But you look at this and you think that, oh wow, these are all, you know, just individual trees. There's a forest, you know, of aspen there. Those are not individual trees, that is one living organism. They are all interconnected. The aspen root system is one living organism, one entire root system. And what happens is that root system spreads throughout the ground and then shoots up the trees out of the roots. It is one living organism. I believe redwoods do the same thing. But there are certain types of species to where they're not necessarily individually planted, but they are one vibrant living organism. The benefit to that is is if one of the trees becomes sick, or uh, become that they're frail or weak, that entire root system can feed and support that weak or sick tree. That is exactly how the body of Christ is supposed to function. That we're to be integrated and intertwined in each other's lives to where we can be that support system no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances in your life. But we are so comfortable in our self-reliance and our independence that we miss the opportunity to be in that. Why do we need to be in community? Well, first of all, community is a place of support and encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brother, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. When we lose connection and become isolated, we become easy prey for the adversary. One of the strategies of any predator is to take something away from the flock or away from the herd or from the group, whatever that may be, to take it and to isolate it where it becomes vulnerable and easy prey and there's nothing for them to contend against. That we need to be speaking support encouragement because we all face challenges in our lives and will face challenges in each other's lives. But there needs to be a point of encouragement and, and, and helping to instill boldness in the other person. That word encourage means to instill courage. That courage is having kind of the moral fortitude to withstand challenging circumstances and uh, adversity. That we need to be speaking that each other because we live in a world where we need that. We're facing challenges that a lot, of us, uh, you know, a lot of us are facing, but they're really significant. And it's hard to deal with it on your own. You need a perspective. You need people saying, no, you, you're exaggerating this too much. Or, no, I believe that there's going to be breakthrough. Or, no, I, I'm here to support you and to help you in whatever way possible. We all need that support. And for you thinking that you don't, really, honestly, it comes down to a point of pride. Of thinking somehow that, you know what, I got this on my own. And you don't. Nobody, no matter how strong they may think that they are, has it on their own. They have to be in a context to where they're receiving and drawing from each other. So it's a a place of support and encouragement. It's also a place of accountability and growth. A lot of of us are uncomfortable with that word accountability. But let me tell you, we all need that in our life. We all need someone speaking the truth or bringing a correct perspective in our life. Because guess what? We're not going to grow if we don't. Discipline is learned from others before we're able to develop self-control for ourselves. The thing about self-discipline is always the fruit of other discipline. You can't have self-discipline if you're not willing to receive discipline from others. Now, I know that's not necessarily a popular message in today's church where we're all supposed to be warm, fuzzy, it's all about grace, and you know we don't do things or say things that make each other upset because it's just supposed to be a warm, feel-good type of environment. And I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm not trying to be you know, downplaying the fact that this is a loving community. Absolutely, no. That's not what I'm saying. Well, what I am saying is, though, but there's also the other aspect to where, guess what? There are times that some of us need to be challenged. We need to have that point of accountability with each other. Some of us need, some, we just sometimes, we just need somebody to come up to us in a loving and compassionate way in the context of relationship and say, I love you, but you're being a jerk right now. <coughs> you're not being very kind, or guess what? I know that you think you're right in this situation, but you're wrong. And let me show you why. I have seen, you know, going on, <clears throat> uh, approaching 19 years of ministry time, and over the course of that time, I have seen some people, uh, my, my senior, that have thrown absolute hissy fits over some of the most minute and ridiculous things I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm going... How long have you said that you walk with Jesus and you're behaving like a two year old? And you're, you're throwing a fit because you didn't get your way on this particular thing? No, you're better than that. That's not what God's called you to be. You're selling yourself short. You're not allowing yourself to become the mature man or woman of God that he's called you to be. That we benefit from each other. I need people to come and tell me, hey, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, you know, you're know, you coming across this way. Or that, that you uh, said this and it hurt this person. Oh, I didn't understand that. Let me go back and try to fix that. We need that kind of feedback because sometimes we just have blind spots or sometimes we're walking at a level of weakness or sin that we're unaware of. And we need people to point that out. That's not to be harsh. It's not to be Hurtful, it's to be helpful and to help us to become everything that God's called us to be. And if we're not willing to receive that, then Proverbs 15.12 says this, A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. So if you're someone that can't receive that or refuses to receive that, then this is what the Word says, that you're in danger of becoming a scoffer, someone that just kind of just thumbs their nose up at what God's trying to do within your life. We all need that benefit of that point of accountability. We all need that accountability when we're struggling with various things, whether it be addiction or whether it be a challenge or a sin that we're trying to, to break within our life. We need that point of accountability. Now, accountability group doesn't fix it. That's not the fixer. It's just it's to ensure that it's pointing the way to the things that will fix it. To Jesus, to community, to whatever path of restoration that you've been told that you need to be on. They're holding you accountable with that because we love you, we're concerned about you, and we want to see you to become everything that God's called you to be. We don't want you to sell yourself short. That accountability and that growth is vital And it is part of what God has commanded for us, the church, to be. And sometimes we just like to put that aside because, yes, it involves some unpleasantness at times. But who has ever gotten better by never encountering any kind of adversity or challenge in their life? What better way to encounter that challenge when it's done in love? Rather than what a lot of us have experienced and experienced at times. And sorrow and suffering... It's a place where we walk through sorrow and suffering together. We need to be able to walk with each other in the context and the process of grief. Grief is not something that we're supposed to do alone. I know that grief is a very personal and a private thing. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is that you should not be doing it alone. If you've gone through a situation or circumstance or a tragedy in your life, I understand the need to sometimes be by yourself and to process that. But when you isolate yourself too much, then guess what? What I see is people going down a spiral that they cannot get out of. There is a godly sorrow, and then there is a worldly sorrow. A godly sorrow is going to lead back to Christ. It's going to keep in that context and it's going to be healthy. But a worldly sorrow leads to despair, depression, and devastation. That we have to be able to process sorrow and grief with each other to keep us in a healthy place. And then finally is a place for healing and wholeness. God will administer his gift of healing and help through the hands of others. Some of you have been saying, I'm looking for breakthrough in my life in this particular area, especially maybe even relationally, or that I'm waiting for God to, you know, to demonstrate a miraculous uh, intervention. Some of us kind of have, you know, it's not necessarily theology, but poofology. That somehow if we ask and pray about it, then all of a sudden (laughs) it's going to be fixed immediately. And that's not always the way that God works. Yes, God works in miraculous ways at times. And that it's instantaneous and it it is visible and it is miraculous. Absolutely. But um, But a number of other times he works within the context of others. And if you're shutting yourself off and isolating yourself off from community, guess what? You're going to be kind of tying the hands of God to operate within your life. Because God chooses to operate through his people. He chooses to manifest his power through people. He chooses to unleash the power of his Holy Spirit through each and every one of us. And some of you are looking for kind of this miraculous intervention and thinking that that's the way that God's going to work. But God's saying, no, actually, I've got some people that can help you through this, and I want to use them. But you're not willing to engage community. You're not willing to engage them, so therefore I'm not able to uh, provide that breakthrough that you've been asking for. God's people is not his plan B in your healing and wholeness. God's people is actually his preferred method in demonstrating that. And you have to be plugged in. You have to be someone who chooses not to be isolated and is going to embrace community in order to experience that. It's not his inferior people. You know, we have an illustration where Paul was struggling with depression And he said, nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God sent Titus to comfort Paul in the midst of his depression. That there are people that hold keys to what you've been praying for and looking for. But if you don't position yourself to be in community, and you think that just simply by coming here on a Sunday morning and saying hello to a couple of people next to you, and then leaving, going to the parking lot, and pursuing the rest of your week with no other interaction is somehow being a part of the community, I'm sorry to tell you, that's not it. We're called to be interactive in each, other, each other's lives. That involves We get in each other's lives. It gets messy. It's going to be messy. But you're going to have to be willing to go through the mess to get to the blessing through all of that. So I want to encourage you, and I want to ask you right now, How many of you are choosing to walk in a life of isolation because you've been hurt, you don't trust other people? There may be other things to where you've elevated uh, some other things in your life above the value of being a community, whatever that may be. Whatever it is, the thing is, is that until you resolve that, until you're willing to embrace that, then you're never really going to grow into the maturity that God's called you to be. It just can't happen. It's not going to happen. Now, there are a number of different ways you can get involved here at Grace. Groups is something that I'm going to strongly encourage you to investigate. We've got a number of groups that are out there, and they meet throughout the year in different areas of the town. Now, I know some of them are kind of coming to uh, a little bit of a slowdown for the summer, but they're still going to gather for social events. But there's a point where you get engaged in that. Or you may already have relationships in your life, but you're not investing in them enough. You're not really going deep with them. Because the thing is that sometimes we don't want people to see us because we're afraid that if they really see us, that they're, they're just going to reject us. And you've got to be willing to let the guard down, get involved in other people's lives, embrace those relationships that you have, and be vulnerable to a point to where you can actually allow somebody to see who you are. And guess what? That desire for a deeper relationship that you've been craving may actually come to pass because you actually allowed the opportunity for it to happen. So I want to challenge each and every one of you to to investigate and to ask, where am I selling myself short in what God's commanded us to do as a body? This is not optional. This is not just some kind of, you know, an add-on. This is what it means to be part of the church. If you're looking for community, we can help you. You can contact us at any time. We're willing to help you find that place. But I want us to pray together. And I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to bring that level of revelation as we can make a commitment to being what the body of Christ has truly been called to be. So, Father, I ask that every person in this room, that you bring a level of revelation, Lord, where we have, Lord, just chosen not to embrace what your word has said, where we have chosen, Lord, not to really truly be the authentic church, but, God, we've chosen to go off on our own, to walk by ourselves, to feel justified in our isolationism and our independence. But, Father, I ask, God, will you show us where that may be. And, Lord, I ask that you demonstrate or that you show us, Lord, the relationships that you've already placed around us and where we need to engage them at a deeper level. God, where there may not be those relationships, I pray, to God, that you, uh, Lord, by divine appointment, bring those relationships into our lives to where we may begin to walk in a deeper knowledge of who you are by uh, interacting with others, God, and valuing your unique and divine creation in another person. God, I pray that you help us to come together as a church. Lord, even more so to where we are the support system. We're the structure, Lord. We are that life-giving, Lord, root system for every person that comes in the door and is part of this family, Lord, where we may be able, God, to help each other to grow, but also, Lord, to celebrate, to mourn, to grieve, to whatever stage of life that they may be in, that we're there to join with them in that moment. And God, I pray that you bring that revelation to us individually, Lord, but also corporately, that we may understand that and truly be the bride of Christ that you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your redeeming power and your unifying power. And we ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, Visit us at gracecovenant.org.